Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And joining me are my co-hosts, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Hi there. And today, we're going to talk to you about Resident Evil 1. Before we do that, though, Ariel brought up an interesting fact for me while we were playing Resident Evil 1. The game is set in 1998, but was released in 1996. So they had predetermined this was going to happen in the next two years kind of thing. Which I thought was pretty cool. Time travelers. <laughs> I figured people would be freaking out in those next two years that, oh, this is going to happen. You know, the interesting thing, though, is, is I'm surprised they didn't do it in 1999 because, you know, the whole Y2K bug thing that was going on. <laughs> maybe Zombies. this was a Terminator game, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, let's dive in. And I believe Daniel has the startup for us. Yeah, at least I should. Alright, so a brief synopsis of the game. Resident Evil is a survival horror video game developed and released by Capcom originally for the PlayStation in 1996 and is the first game in the Resident Evil series, technically, until they did zero <laughs> later on down the road, which then changed that. Yeah. So I kind of lied to you too as well. <laughs> the game's plot follows Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine, members of an elite task force known as STARS, as they investigate the outskirts of Raccoon City following the disappearance of their team members. They soon become trapped in a mansion infested with zombies and other monsters. The players having selected player having selected to play as Chris or Jill at the start of the game must explore the mansion to uncover its secrets. And then there's a little bit more information about the game itself. Gameplay consists largely of third-person action with added emphasis on inventory management, exploration, and puzzle solving. Resident Evil establishes many conventions seen later in the series, including the control scheme, inventory system, save system, and the use of 3D models superimposed over pre-rendered backgrounds. That's all I have currently for the synopsis. I mean, it's a pretty good synopsis. <laughs> Straight to the point. Straight mostly. to the point. All right, Ariel, what do you got for us? Let's talk plot. Yes. 
So let's go into some backstory here. The Spencer Mansion was constructed in the Arclay Mountains in the 1960s by George Trevor, an architect who subsequently disappeared. But, Which we know how. Yeah, as we covered in previous episode. The mansion housed an underground laboratory used by Umbrella Pharmaceuticals for top-secret bioweapons development on behalf of the U.S. military. Soon after the E-strain's completion in 1998, the virus broke out and infected the staff, causing noticeable necrosis of the skin and severe brain damage, which limits their intelligence and triggers the excessive production of hormones, making them murderously angry. Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Obsessively hungry and growing several inches. In their volatile state, they are unable to prevent their mutant test subjects escaping, leading to a number of deaths of hikers in suburban factories. In July 1998, the Raccoon Police Department, unable to solve the murder and animal attack cases, hands over the investigation to STARS, an elite law enforcement unit founded, funded by Umbrella. So, let's dive into the game. Well, hold on. Okay. Stars is funded by Umbrella. Yeah, it is. Now that makes sense why Wesker would be in Umbrella. Or uh, Stars, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense why he's in Umbrella too, but. Yeah, I mean, it's Wesker. <laughs> the game begins on the night of Friday, July 24th, 1998. The Special Tactics and Rescue Service. A police special forces unit consisting of ex-soldiers and scientists have been assigned into the Arclay Mountains to investigate a series of cannibalistic homicides conducted by an unidentified group of people. Split into two teams, the Bravo team sent out the previous night has ceased radio contact, forcing the Alpha team to investigate their disappearance on top of completing the mission. Alpha team identifies Bravo's team's derelict helicopter on the ground and investigates, finding the body of its pilot, Kevin Dooley, but no sign of the others, including his co-pilot, Edward Dewey. Soon into the search, Alpha Team's Joseph Frost is attacked by a pack of mutant dogs, the Cerberuses, and his body torn apart. His comrades, unable to save him, are soon forced to flee from the dogs as well. In the commotion, pilot Brad Vickers takes off, stranding the remaining four members of Alpha Team behind. Chris Redfield, Jill Valentine, Barry Burton, and their leader, Captain Albert Wesker, rush into a large mansion seen from afar. Soon after arriving in the mansion, the four STARS officers split up to search the building, though it is uncertain which actions are attributed to who. Investigating a gunshot near the dining room, Dr. Kenneth J. Sullivan of Bravo Team is found dying of a fatal throat injury. Having been murdered by a mutant cannibal, zombie, <laughs> Forrest Speyer is found on a balcony seemingly dead, but he gets up soon after as another mutant. Now, in the original game, the cool part is, if you play Jill, you can get a rocket launcher from him. I remember that. Rocket launcher. <laughs> Richard Aiken is found poisoned from a venomous mutant snake and either dies of poisoning or by another mutant after treatment. 
Redfield himself discovers Bravo Team's medic Rebecca Chambers while exploring the mansion, but she is limited mostly to the medical storerooms to offer treatment for injuries. Valentine, meanwhile, works with Burton in investigating the mansion and begins to suspect something is wrong about him due to his movements. As time passes in the investigation, the officers become aware the mansion is part of a base operated by Umbrella Pharmaceuticals and Umbrella USA for viral research. With the escaped mutants being the result of an escaped mutagenic virus, which included a murderous insanity due to brain damage and radical hormonal changes. That's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. In further search of the mansion, they learn of the Trevor family, George, Jessica, and Lisa, who were abducted by Umbrella Pharmaceuticals in the 1960s for use in research of the progenitor virus by one of Umbrella's founders, Dr. Oswell E. Spencer. Dick. Yep. (laughs) For who the mansion was built for. Lisa is still alive, having been kept as a human test subject for years, though she has been driven mad and horrifically mutated. With the mansion's guards dead or mutated, she is free to roam and kill as she pleases. In a nearby building, used as a dormitory for laboratory workers, it is discovered to be wrecked by a giant plant, Plant 42. A mutant plant research specimen, it ran amok during the accident and attacked the staff to drain them of blood for sustenance, moving its ivies. Its growth is attributed to drinking from the basement below, which houses a massive shark tank for research on fish-based mutants. In the courtyard's underground, Bravo team captain Enrico Marini is discovered injured. He believes there is a traitor within stars responsible for their casualties, but is assassinated by a third party who quickly escapes. Moving into the laboratory, the investigation comes to a close. The nature of the virus research is finally understood to have been part of illegal bioweapons research on behalf of the United States military in disregard of the Bioweapons Convention. The latest virus, Epsilon, leaked out during an accident, leading to the staff being infected and, unable to maintain the facility, allowed the bioweapons to escape. Captain Wesker, a former U.S. Army researcher, is discovered to not only be a former member of Umbrella USA's lab team, but continued to work as a spy for the company throughout. Under orders from Umbrella, Captain Wesker brought stars into the mansion to both prevent the alternative of state troopers being involved, as well as to prove the mutants' effectiveness in killing armed professionals. Finally, he has orders to destroy the laboratory, to destroy any incriminating material, and recover embryonic clone samples of the BOWs. Burton is revealed to have been forced to assist in the destruction of material under threat of his family's murder. Captain Wesker is cornered on level B4 of the lab and not only confesses to the actions, but also adds that he plans to betray Umbrella upon completion of the mission destroying the lab and instead handing over the embryonic clones to a rival company. Umbrella USA's latest bioweapons creation, the T-002 Tyrant, is awoken from its slumber with orders to kill the other STARS members. 
He turns on Captain Wesker instead and impales him with his claws before going after the others. The laboratory's self-destruct system is activated, and the four remaining STARS members, Burton, Chambers, Redfield, and Valentine, rush to the helipad to alert Vickers to their need of rescue. The T-002 confronts them on the helipad as the helicopter arrives, but is destroyed by a direct hit from a rocket. The STARS members fly away over the mountains as the Spencer, Spencer Mansion explodes. And they all live happily ever after. False. Yeah, that's false. <laughs> I just wanted a happy ending in there for once. Because all of them get called right <laughs> back into the fight. Yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> whew, a lot going on in that uh, plot. Whew. So we have Wesker, who we all know by now, I'm sure, is a treacherous asshole and did not die. <laughs> of course you not. Sure it's still Spoiler alert. It sounds like it because the tyrant, you know, stabbed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sure doesn't come back later on. No. <laughs> Plot armor. I do, I do enjoy the fact, though, that in the remake, you run into a lot of the people from Bravo Team. Now, this is the remake because in the original... You only run into bodies for the most part. You do run into a few survivors here and there, but it's mostly the bodies of Bravo Team and information on Bravo Team. We're talking about like the PlayStation 1 director's cut. Seems like they all died anyways. <laughs> Goodness. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we are going to discuss our opinions of the game and a few facts about it and comparisons to the originals. All right. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. All right. You know, you know those gunshots mean the middle of the show. So, what have you brought for us today, Ariel? Well, I've brought a treat for you all. Oh? So, Ice Nine Kills. Okay, yep. Which is an American heavy metal band known for its horror-inspired lyrics. Hmm. Has tweeted that the next release, their next song release, yeah, coming from their upcoming album, The Silver Scream Two: Welcome to Horrorwood, is called Rainy Day. Okay, and it is a Resident Evil inspired song. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I am very excited about it. I don't know when it's coming out. But they said that is their next single that they are releasing from that album. Now, and I've heard all their other horror f- horror theme songs, and they're pretty good. Uh, yeah. My favorite so far is probably It Is The End. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know, but I like Thank God It's Friday, too. <laughs> Ice Nine Kills is a really good band, in my opinion. So I'm pretty excited. I can't wait to hear it mm-hmm. and be pumped about it. Yes. Right, Daniel, what'd you bring for us today? 
All right, it's not merchandise this time. Huh? So I was looking online, and according to Screen Rant, so I'm not for sure how accurate this is going to be. Yes, but according to uh, Steam database in certain areas, I can't even talk. Resident Evil Three, mm-hmm. the remake, uh, may be getting its first update since 2020. Oh, so actually, to the actual game itself, not to like their mercenaries mode. Okay, but they don't really give you any indication of what it could be since it's just a possibility so at this time we have a possible update coming but it hopefully isn't just like to fix bugs or glitches it's actually something legitimately good (laughs) for the game let's hope so right well Daniel didn't bring merch but I did so there in, in in Japan they are releasing, or have released, I should say, the first collaboration between Cougar, which is a video game chair company, um, and Resident Evil. They have Resident Evil or Biohazard chairs featuring the Stars logos and the Umbrella logos. You can choose your design. And they've even, which is, this is pretty cool. Their iconic logo color for Cougar is orange. Now they've actually changed the logo colors to match the chairs. So if you get stars, you get a blue logo. And if you get the umbrella logo, it's red. Um, they are out now for pre-order. They they released for their first pre-order uh, August 19th. Um, so they're still there. And you can go to um, Smutton. Uh, which is uh, www.hectoshop.com or you can go to www.rakuten.co.jp backslash smatten backslash. Now I'll spell that out. It is R-A-K-U-T-N sorry R-A-K-U-T-E-N dot co dot J-P backslash s-m-a-t-o-n um these chairs they're really cool looking um they're really well designed and right now they roughly cost about 500 us dollars yeah i'm gonna need to come up with 500 (laughs) dollars. i want the stars one um they they're they get pretty good um pretty good reviews and the chairs come with a one year warranty and they are official Capcom so with all that being said let's dive in shall we right well we're back from our break so we're gonna go ahead and dive into a brief synopsis of the two main characters in Resident Evil 1 Chris and Jill. Ariel? All right. I'm going to briefly discuss Chris. Now, this is more so him and the gameplay of it, not really the background. Mm-hmm. We will discuss the backgrounds of the characters in the next episode. So, Chris Redfield. One of the protagonists of the game, Chris is much stronger and faster than Jill making him more resistant to enemy attacks and have more possibilities to avoid them. But to compensate for this strength, his scenario is made more problematic. 
especially for the inexperienced. He faces more enemies compared to Jill, and the enemies in his scenario also have more health than Jill's. He can only carry six items and starts with only a knife. To make things worse, he needs small keys, called old keys in the remake, to unlock places where Jill can simply use her lockpick. Chris's supporting character is Rebecca. She will not rescue him as much as Barry would for Jill, but she can heal all of Chris's wounds at certain stages of the game, depending on Chris's actions. Chris also finds the flamethrower, a weapon exclusive to this to his scenario. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I, my complaints are slowly going out of the wind because <laughs> it makes more sense to give him less item space then because it, it does offer a greater challenge. No, see, I like the inventory space, though. <laughs> well, then we should have played as Jill. Oh, but I like Chris. I mean, he does get Rebecca. See, even Daniel's on Free board. Free healing. All right. What do you got for us, Daniel? All right. I've got Jill Valentine in the game. She is one of the protagonists of the game as well. Jill's scenario is the simpler of the two, as she has a higher carrying capacity eight items simultaneously as opposed to Chris's six and has the lockpick as we've described that serves as her substitute for the small keys in Chris's scenario as well as the sword key in the original game. Jill's supporting character is Barry. He wields a powerful 357 Magnum Colt Python and is more helpful than Chris's Rebecca which I beg to differ but we know my <laughs> biased thoughts on Rebecca as he eliminates the need for the broken shotgun as long as the player hasn't picked up the armor key and assists in fighting several of the bosses. Take that, Chris. Jill also gets to use a grenade launcher, a weapon exclusive to her scenario and capable of firing several types of rounds. However, these advantages are offset by the fact that she is more vulnerable to enemy attacks than Chris due to her lower health and is less likely to escape from some since she is slower which i mean she's smaller i think she would be faster but yeah that part didn't really make sense to me either i guess it's how capcom did it and that is what i basically have on jill during the gameplay so <clears throat> i did play as jill and i actually enjoyed playing as jill a little bit more me too uh than Disagree. chris because of the space because of the lessened you know opportunities for combat the one downside though is i did not like having barry follow you around throughout the game like it made me feel like jill wasn't as badass and we know jill is a badass yeah i agree that's kind of like oh well you're a woman so here's a man to help you along yeah i didn't i did not like it at all i really really enjoyed the original director's cut ps1 version because you know Barry wasn't there a whole lot if I remember rightly Barry just wasn't there a whole lot it's been a hundred years since I played that <laughs> hundred years I I liked playing Chris though I do hate the short inventory space mm. and I also hated that you couldn't drop items you had the drop box yes but you had to go to it so much backtracking mm -hmm. and of course resident evil is very great about backtracking but 
that just added that much more because you had to go back to your Dropbox to go pick up items or drop them off. Yeah. And then you had to have the keys and all that crap in your inventory and your very limited inventory. It just was frustrating. Honestly, it made me feel when we played as Chris, it made me feel like it was more complicated than zero. Yeah, at least like I know I complained about zero and the dropping the items and stuff, but honestly it was that it was a lot easier. Yeah. Just to drop them. You could drop the ribbons by the typewriters and there you go. You don't have to go all the way back to get your ribbon to go yeah. all the way back to a typewriter. It's just I liked being able to drop the items. Well, how did you feel about your playthrough as Jill, Daniel? I mean, I forgot how to play the game originally, so uh, <laughs> I messed up in the beginning and picked up an item. I was like, oh, there's one less inventory slot already. So I was channeling <laughs> my Resident Evil Zero already, and I was like, well, now I'm going to be stuck without. And see, during games, because I know the ink ribbons are limited, and so most games, any game, I'll save multiple times. So I have to try and stop myself from saving multiple mm-hmm. times and wasting the ribbons because it's just how I do things. I'm like, I want to make sure that my PlayStation saved the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I played my playthrough as Jill, I I did, like I said, I really enjoyed it more than Chris because I felt like I could really get into the storyline more. And it wasn't, I wasn't worried about how much stuff is in my inventory. Oh my gosh, I have to run back and drop things. And I never had to worry about ammo either because I always had space for it. Now, what I will say is I feel like a few more zombies thrown Jill's way in her playthrough would have been appreciated. How do you feel about that, Daniel? It probably would have worked. I mean, to balance things out, like Ariel said, just because she's a woman, they made it easier for her. Yeah. And we know that in the newer games, they they pretty much put a stop to that. And I, I do appreciate that. Same. I greatly appreciate that. I mean, and we'll talk about it more when we get to Resident Evil 4, but as you play through Ada's storyline, like, it's hard. It is really hard to go through that storyline. It's because Ada's a badass. She is a badass. And I mean, with Jill's (laughs) background, which we'll get into, she's, I want to say, more badass than Chris. Yeah, yeah. She does have quite the expertise. She doesn't punch boulders, though. (laughs) <laughs> she probably could, though. <laughs> probably could, yeah. All right, let's talk puzzles. You beat me to it. You wouldn't let me talk. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't really touch on Zero about this, but one of my favorite loves of Resident Evil are the puzzles. Yes. It puts that nice little spin into the game where it's not just shoot, shoot, shoot. Mm-hmm. I love the puzzles. Yes. There's a lot of replacement puzzles I've noticed in this one. There is, especially, well, one with the broken shotgun. If Mm -hmm. you want that shotgun, you're going to have to find that broken one to put in place. And the key, what was that again? It was the helmet key or the armor key or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you better find that other imitation key to put in there. Otherwise, you're going to die. See, during my playthrough, I did not find the imitation key and I just tried to hide. I was like, well, I'll just grab the key off the platform and I'll hide in these little cubbies here until the cubbies 
close and you're in a small corridor and they have both ends the shield like spinning blades are coming at you I I died I won't lie I died there yeah the puzzles are very unforgiving Mm -hmm. you either do it or you die and there's no hints in this one you know in other Resident Evil games we've gotten hints at what you know possible puzzle solutions and things like that there are no hints nope you just have to investigate until you figure it out Mm -hmm. get all the pieces and yep now, what I will say is they are forgiving with the resets. They will allow you to reset the traps. So if you yeah. don't have the broken shotgun and you try to leave with it, the walls don't immediately immediately smash you. You're able to go back in, put the shotgun back down and go, okay, well, there's something I'm missing, especially with the key. The key's the same way. You can go in, pick the key up. Oh, no, the walls close in. They're spinning blades. Put the key back and everything resets. Yeah, that's a, that's a plus. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel? puzzles what yeah. do you think so i mean i really don't have an opinion on puzzles because sometimes i get too aggravated by puzzles <laughs> so it's weird that i would choose the portrait room puzzle oh that's a good one yeah yeah because you can get attacked by the crows and you know we love crows mm. see <clears throat> my playthrough i shot the crows in the <laughs> Uh, room where you find the birdcage and that was a mistake because they immediately <laughs> dive bombed me. Oh, they were so angry. I was thinking, oh, Resident <laughs> Evil 4 rules and I shot the birds hoping to get items and nope, nope, they chased me all the way up the stairs and every time I entered that room, I was always getting chased. So you were like, how do I best infuriate a bird? <laughs> I'll fire at it. <laughs> yes. I will still say though, my favorite puzzle in almost any Resident Evil game is the Moonlight Sonata Piano. Oh, yes. It is one of the most iconic and memorable puzzles of the Resident Evil series. It is. I secretly always wanted to play the piano. (laughs) And that was the one song you wanted to learn, right? See, (laughs) you've you've got the mantle the fireplace and you've got all these things these are the things that people remember from the RE1 game but that Moonlight Sonata has been remained infamous throughout the entire franchise agreed except the one memorable thing that I think of Resident Evil is the zombie turning its head in the very beginning yes that is the most iconic moment <laughs> in any of the fran- in fact they still use that today yeah that's that's what I remember best about Resident Evil 1 I mean it is a part of their 25th anniversary logo too it is isn't it it is yes but at any rate so next episode we're going to discuss B-O-W's and main and side characters. Yes. But before we get to next episode, maybe we can get a little hint at what the new B-O-W's for this game are. Now you're just asking for too much. Mm. So, let me just list off the creatures real quick. So, this is alphabetical order. We have the adder. Okay. Baby spider. Okay. Black tiger. Cerberus. Chimera. Crimson head. Crimson head prototype one. Oh. Crows. Gold tyrants. Graveyard zombie. Hunter A. 
Modified zombie. Monster plant. Neptune, which is the shark. Plant 42. Ticks. Lisa Trevor. Tyrant. T002 model. Wasps. Web spinners. Yawn. And zombies. I hate the wasps. They were ridiculous. <laughs> I think you should hate the crows. I hate all flying creatures in all of the Resident <laughs> Evil games. If they're flying, I hate them. Especially the ones where you have, like, you literally can only aim down, middle, or up. There's there's no happy medium. <laughs> Even with the happy mediums, uh, I hate the flying creatures in all of the games. Right. Well, we've covered a brief and major synopsis of Resident Evil 1. We've discussed the puzzles, the traps, and we've briefly discussed the characters and the BOWs that will be discussed in the next episode. But that's all we have for now. So thanks everybody for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and a review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger. What up tonight, City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City, Cyberpunk, a Cyberpunk Red Live Play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos. Survive the streets and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie. This is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. What are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5e D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Altaris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Eh, sounds boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.